thankful to be here. And um, I'm really excited to be speaking to you guys. I am on staff at a church up in Mason at uh, Tom Rivers Crossing Community Church. And we are located right across the street from Kings Island uh, in an old movie theater. And I uh, do a number of things there. I'm a deacon there. I am a ministry assistant to the administrative pastor, which is a mouthful to say. I also lead the young adult ministry that we have there. It's called Ignite, and it's for people 18 to 25. And so some of these fine-looking people up here in the front are from that ministry. And um, so, I, yeah, that's what I do there. And I'm just going to go ahead and pray really quick before I get into the sermon. Heavenly Father, I just um, come before you today and lay myself before you, God. I pray that as I speak your word, as I share what you have laid on my heart, that if I don't get in the way, that you speak through me, that you speak powerfully and boldly, and that uh, you bring some truth to light, God, that we need to hear you. Spirit, just fall in this place, penetrate our hearts, and let us know that... Um, this is not just a Sunday morning service. This is an experience and an encounter with a holy God. And so when we come here and we worship you and we hear from your word and we spend time together, we're not just enjoying a service, but we're encountering you, God, encountering the God of the universe. So we thank you for that, God, and let that be true today. In your name, amen. All right, so we're going to be reading from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I'm going to be talking about this truth that you are what you worship. You are what you worship. And so uh, Paul writes in Romans 12, starting in verse 1, and he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So, before I get into kind of explaining this passage, I want to kind of share a little bit more about who I am, where I'm coming from. So, I was raised, born and raised in a Christian home. I pretty much came right out of the womb into a baptistry. I'm pretty sure. Like, I was probably in a church as a week old, maybe. I don't know. But it was very early. So I've been in church almost every single Sunday of my life that I can remember. I've been at a church. I've been worshiping. I've been doing this stuff. And for me, that was a blessing, and it was a little bit of a curse. And the blessing was that I got to hear about Jesus all the time, and I got to hear the gospel taught to me correctly. I got to hear that Jesus died on a cross, that God himself came down and became a human being and died on a cross for me to save my sins, to save your sin, or to save you from your sins. And so, I got to hear about that, and that was such a blessing to me. It, was, it meant so much when I actually figured it out, but that was the hardest part. It was where I couldn't quite get it a lot of the time. So growing up, I had all this knowledge poured into my brain about who Jesus is, what the Bible says, who God is, who I am. And where I took that was, okay, I'm a dirty, rotten sinner. God is this holy, perfect God. And the bridge has to be done by, a little bit by God and a little bit by me. And so, for me, I went through this period going into my early, uh, early teenage years where I would just be like so downtrodden 
that I was a sinner. I would, I would like be sitting and sitting and sitting, and I'd be like, okay, I'd go to my parents and go to the youth pastor, and I'd say, okay, I need to fix this, God. So if I just pray this prayer and I get baptized, and then it's going to just go away, the sin problem is going to go away, and that, that was my understanding as 12, 13 year old. And so I prayed a prayer. And I just didn't want to go to hell. I just didn't want to sin anymore. I didn't want to have all these problems. So I prayed the prayer. And then I realized six months later, eight months later, a year later, that nothing was getting better. I was actually probably getting worse. Coming into my teenage years, you know, there were a lot of things that I was being tempted by that I wasn't being tempted by before. And I just felt shame and guilt for them. And nobody was doing that to me. I was just doing it to myself. And so, um, I went through that process probably like three times where I, okay, a year later I go and I'm like, okay, I don't think what I really meant it the first time. Can I, can I try this again and see if we can get it right this time? And once, when I was 14, I, I talked to my youth pastor at the time, and I had this experience where I stopped caring about getting out of hell, and I started just hungering for Jesus. It was different. It was a totally different mentality. And so when I prayed, I, I didn't pray, God, Jesus, come into my heart, which I don't even know why we say that. That just sounds goofy. But we, I stopped praying, Jesus, come into my heart, and I started praying, God, I need you. I cannot live this life without you. I need you, and I need the sacrifice that your son made. I need the gospel. And so when I made that decision, I'm not going to say that I went and got better, but I became... I became a Christian in that moment. And I continued to get worse. <laughs> a lot of times, many days were still me sinning and me feeling guilty and me feeling shameful. But I could go back and turn back to this moment in time. I could turn back to the gospel itself. And I could see that my life is not dependent on these things. My life is dependent on what Jesus did for me. And that's what I'm going to be talking about today the gospel, and why that is important. And you might say, well, what does that have to do with worship? Like, we just did worship. That's singing songs. That's coming right out of worship service. That has everything to do with worship. Whether you are a Christian here or not a Christian in here, we both equally need the gospel every single day. See, a, a non-Christian needs that for their eternity. A non-Christian needs it because they don't know Jesus yet. But a Christian needs it because we still are in the flesh. We're still in this world. And without the gospel, we start to put all of the power on our own shoulders. We start to put all the weight on our own shoulders. And so what I mean by that, I'm going to explain the fact that we still need the gospel. We see throughout Scripture all the times that we're commanded to do something, but when Paul even hears going to command us to do something. It's always by the mercy of God, through Christ, in Christ. It's never do this just because you can. That's not Christianity. It's not on our shoulders. So, we both, Christians, non-Christians, we need the gospel. We need it terribly. Because for me, I need to turn to that over these finite things. I need to turn to that over these temporary things, these kind of physical things in this world. Like when I have a problem, my first tendency is not to turn to God. I'm just letting that out. My first tendency is to turn to somebody that is going to give me instant gratification. So I'll turn to my wife. I'll 
to a, a friend or a family member or a pastor. I will turn to any person over God. When, sometimes when I have problems, I will turn to food, and I'm like, okay, I'm having a bad day. I'm getting ice cream. I'm just going to devour a pint of Ben and Jerry's ice cream. And sometimes when I am struggling, or sometimes even when I'm not struggling, I, I turn to impulsively buying things to fulfill me. Things like an iPad. And I think, like, okay, this, when I have this item, it's going to be a lot better. Life is going to be good. And it, it's great for a couple weeks, and then I'm like, okay, that, this is boring, and this, it's just a screen. And so things fade. These physical things fall apart. For me, probably the biggest thing, and I talk about this a lot with the young adult ministries, I put way too much weight on what people think of me. I could hear a hundred compliments and one insult, and I would remember that one insult for the rest of my life and forget the hundred compliments. Like, I put so much weight on people's view of me that I, I'm giving them the role that God should have. I'm giving Ben and Jerry's pints of ice cream the role that God should have. Not that these things are bad, but I'm giving them this ultimate role that they will never fulfill. Eventually, the pint of ice cream is empty, and I'm sad. And that's, that's just the truth of the matter. So, the truth is, we're all guilty of this. You can't just hear me talking about this thing. Oh, yeah, that's great that he's guilty of that, but I'm, I rely on God 100% of the time. I turn to the gospel in every instance. We're all guilty of this, and Actually, I, I came across an agnostic author who talks about this, and he actually gets this more than most Christians do that I know, more than I do often. And he gets this idea that worship is everything in your life. And so what we do when we worship is we're turning our eyes to Jesus. We're fixing our eyes on Jesus. That's all that we're doing. So when we're singing the songs or when we're working our day job, worship happening. So this guy's name is David Foster Wallace, and this is from a commencement address in 2005 at Kenya College, and he's talking about this idea of worship. So here it starts. Uh, in the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there's actually no such thing as atheism. So remember, this guy's agnostic. He doesn't really believe in God. He doesn't subscribe to any belief system. There's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we did is what to worship. And an outstanding reason for choosing some sort of God or spiritual kind of thing to worship is that pretty much anything else will eat you alive. Have you felt that? Where you put this trust in a person, you put this trust in a thing, you put this trust in something physical, and eventually it eats you alive, eventually it crumbles beneath your feet. And you have nothing to turn to because you put all your lives in that. Put all your hope in that. Put your faith in that. He continues. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. Worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age starts showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally plan you. Worship power, you will feel weak and afraid. And you will need 
sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. So this means that we have this option to either present our bodies to God as this living sacrifice or present our bodies to something else. So he's giving us a choice here, but he's, he's not really giving us a choice. He's just saying, there is a choice, but here's what you should do if you really get what the first 11 chapters are saying. You're going to present your body to God as a living sacrifice. And what does that mean? That doesn't mean that we literally present our bodies and go, I am yours. And we literally become this living sacrifice. But it means that in the physical actions of our life, in every moment, every physical action, God that choice. There's going to be a choice to present your body to God, present yourself to something else. Choose God in every choice. This is the living sacrifice that he's referring to. And as he continues in the same sentence, he says, present your body to God as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. So, can we really be holy on our own, or even acceptable before God on our own? We can't. So this is why it's important. By the mercies of God, remember that. Then he says, which is your spiritual worship. See, you are what you worship. So this physical action that we do, and every choice we have, every physical action that we do is our spiritual worship. So he's giving us this physical and spiritual dichotomy here. He's saying every physical action, whether it be for God, for something else, this is your spiritual worship. So whether you're at home watching TV, whether you're at church worshiping with your hands raised, whether you're at the resident, this is your spiritual worship. And those are all great things, and we have to know that those good things come from a great God. That is how we spiritually use those things as our spiritual worship. But we can't put God in a box. God is not 10 a.m. on a Sunday morning at One Hope Church. God is not a genre of music that we sing. Our worship is not a genre of music that we sing right before we hear from God's Word. Worship is not just we come together in Bible studies and we talk about Jesus and we pray together and we build each other up. Worship is all of those things, but worship is everything else. When we put God in this box, we put worship in this box, we miss out on so much. We miss out on so much that he has for us. So Paul continues uh, into verse 2. And he says, Do not be conformed to this world. Do not be conformed to this world. And I've often heard this uh, verse quoted, and I've heard it tied into these surface-level things. So they would say, you don't be conformed to this world. You don't need to look like the world. You don't need to go to the movies like the world. And I'm not, I'm not doubting what, whenever people say those things, but I'm saying Paul goes deeper, and we need to go deeper. We need to stop focusing on these outward things that don't represent our hearts. And start focusing on our hearts. So Paul is saying, do not be conformed to this world. What does the world do? The world looks for other things besides God. To put its hope, trust, and faith in. Stop doing that. The first 11 chapters, remember that. You are a son of God now. You are a daughter of God now. Stop turning to something that will not fulfill you. Just stop. Don't be conformed to this world. Do they look fulfilled to you? Don't be conformed to this world. So he continues, but 
be transformed. So you gotta say, but start acting better. But you need to just get your act together and stop sinning. He says, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So what he's saying here is, remember he's speaking to Christians, so we Christians need to continually be transformed by the renewal of our mind. That doesn't mean that we lose our salvation and have to regain it. We still have it. We're still secure in Jesus. But we need to constantly come back to the gospel in every instance, in every time we are tempted to sin, every time we fail to sin, instead of turning to the guilt and shame, instead of turning to something else to get us out to fulfill us, we need to turn to Jesus and say, I am nothing without you. And this is how I'm going to renew my mind. I'm going to refresh myself by drinking from this water of the gospel. I'm going to refresh myself by coming back to Jesus. See, I can't do it on my own. Everything is worship. You are what you worship. So, my question for us this morning is, what are you worshiping? Think about that. I mean, really think about it. What are we worshiping? What am I worshiping? What are you worshiping? In these instances, when you have these choices, where do you turn? Do you present your body to God? Do you physically act towards God so that is your spiritual worship? Or do you give yourself to something else? Put your hope in something else? Put your trust in something else? Harold Best is an author and theologian, and he said this about worship. Worship is a continual outpouring. So this is constant, unending outpouring of all that I am, not part of who I am, not just the Jesus part. It's all that I am. Not just my Sunday morning, all that I am, all that I do, and all that I can ever become in light of a chosen, a choosing God. Is it just me or does that sound incredibly daunting? All that I am, all that I do, and all that I can ever become is worship. It's me continually outpouring myself. That's daunting. That has to be. If you're hearing that and you're going, you know what, I think I've got that. Got that on lock. Then you're missing the point. This is daunting. I'm not saying that we have to beat ourselves up and go, oh, woe is me, I don't think I can do it. I'm saying we have to have Jesus. We have to turn to Jesus. You don't just get, pray the prayer, okay, you're locked in, you're good. Now just go live on your own. Just go do the right things on your own. Because guess what? You won't. You might put on the face, you might put on the mask, that you're doing all the right things on your own, but you're going to fail. You're going to fail hard. And if you don't turn to the gospel, Everything will crumble beneath you. See, if living the Christian life doesn't at times feel sacrificial to you, sometimes you're not doing something you don't want to do. Sometimes you're not doing something you don't care to do, or sometimes you're not even doing something you don't believe you can do. Then you're not even worshiping God. You're you're really just worshiping comfort. You're really worshiping yourself. See, we, we see these things, we hear these things in Scripture.
continually worshiping God leads you to see that God doesn't affirm all of your beliefs, all of your views, all of your thoughts, all of your feelings, all of your politics, all of your opinions. Because I thought I would be you. And nothing against you, but if that applies to you, I'm not worshiping God. If God is me, I'm not worshiping God. And there's so many times when we have to come to God and He has to say, I know that's what you think, I know that's what you feel, I know that is your belief. It's wrong. I know that's how you want to act, I know that's who you want to be. But look at this. See? Don't be conformed to the world. See, you are what you worship. And this is why we absolutely need this thought and mercies of God. Decent as we can't read over that. Maybe it's just Christian lingo. That's just language that Paul puts at the beginning to just make it sound more godly. It's of utmost importance that we turn back in every instance to the mercies of God, to the grace of God. Because without that, we can't do the Christian things. We can't live this life. We will fail. So if we as the church could truly live this out, if we could really live out this life of worship where we're just continually outpouring all that we are, all that we have, all that we do, all that we'll ever become, if we make that our focus, and yes, we're going to fail, yes, we're going to mess up, yes, we're not going to be doing that in every instance, but as soon as we realize we're not doing it, we turn to Jesus, that would change Burlington, Kentucky, that would change Cincinnati, Ohio, that would change our culture, our society, our country, our world. Because we would be people who are not focused on ourselves any longer. Not focused on these finite, temporary things. We would be focused on the infinite, eternal divine. Doesn't that sound better? Doesn't that sound more secure? Doesn't that sound like it could actually have a chance at fulfilling us? It's what we need. It's what all of Scripture says we need. And it's what Paul is referring to here. And this doesn't mean that we don't have fun and enjoy all of the other things in life. We're just constantly these worship robots that just know Jesus. I gotta talk about Jesus. I gotta talk about Jesus. And at the Reds game, praise Jesus. Joey Bonner and Omar, I mean, praise Jesus. I just gotta constantly talk about Jesus. No. It means that we understand that these good things, the Reds game, it's a great thing. And you could be worshiping God while just enjoying the rest game with friends and eating a, a hot dog and spending way too much money at the concession stand. You could still be worshiping God. Because you know this good thing is from a great God. You don't put your hope and your trust into it. You know, I see guys that go into those games and they just like have the statue and they do everything and when the Reds lose, they're crushed. Means that lately they have been crushed a lot. I don't know, sports analogies in Cincinnati probably don't always work because we're just used to reducing <laughs> to losing. Um, but it's true that we put our trust, we put our hope in our families, we put our hope in loved ones, we put our hope in people, we put our hope in things. 